3: Your season-long fantasy football lineup is locked in and ready for action. Uh, hi, everyone. This is Montel Hardy of the NGSC Draft Central Podcast, and I just want you to know you don't have to wait until week 16 to get paid. Put your fantasy skills to the test starting Sunday at DraftKings.com. That's America's favorite number one weekly fantasy football site where you could kick the season off by winning $2 million. Now, DraftKings isn't your ordinary. It's it's the biggest fantasy football contest ever. Uh, we're talking ten million dollars and prizes just up for grabs, uh, including two million for first place and one million for second place. Now I got a friend named Bernard. He won. You know he he doesn't bet a whole lot, but he won one hundred and fifty dollars this weekend, and he's he's not very good. I've crushed him in fantasy a few times. Uh, so more about DraftKings, guys uh it's one week fantasy this means no season-long commitments it's fantasy football on demand play where you want when you want with the players you want and turn your love of football into a life-changing payday uh once again all you have to do is pick up your players pile up your points and pick up your cash guys it's just that easy i promise you have never experienced football like this Uh, So once again, everybody, hurry up to DraftKings.com now and use the promo code SPREAKER. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, SPREAKER, and you can play for a shot at a part of $10 million in Sunday's Millionaire Maker event. Enter SPREAKER for free entry right now, only at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com.
2: that time Montel another day, another dollar, my friend, which means time oh, to do yes. another killer podcast. Alright, I'm your host, Bye. Joshua Zimmer, joined by Mr. Montel Hardy as you can hear. And thank you for tuning in to the latest edition of the NGSC football podcast, where it has nothing to do with baseball, basketball, hockey, Soccer, all about the true American pastime, football. So, without further ado, Montel, how you doing today, my friend?
3: I'm doing just fine, Josh. It is a uh, it's another week in paradise, man. A great week of football behind us, a great week of football ahead of us.
2: Oh gosh, that's an understatement with the football we have coming up. you know, just, just to highlight a little bit of it before we um, get into our reviews, if you are a Pac-12 fan, boy, is this weekend going to be fun for you. And we'll get into that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but going back to our review, Montel, we had some pretty damn good games this weekend. Um, most notably, you could talk about would be, uh, in my opinion, Ole Miss, Alabama. That was probably the best oh, game of yes. the weekend. Maybe yep, even BYU-UCLA came down to a last-second play again, mm-hmm. but my boy Miles Jack was there to pick it off.
3: Yeah, and you know, it's, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that story in a second, but this was a great week of college football uh, for the Big 12, for the SEC, we saw a lot of things. Uh, personally, uh, one of the images, one of the things that probably won't leave me would be that pass in that old Miss game. uh, the quarterback, the, the the new one, he, he drops back, uh, he fires blindly, the ball's tipped, caught by the receiver, they run it in for the touchdown. Uh, that was, I was just about to tweet out, that might have been the dumbest decision I've ever seen. Uh, but it was a touchdown, Josh. I mean, it was tipped. It was caught. Uh, I, I think the moments like that would make college football so great. So uh, with Ole Miss beating Alabama, uh, with the uh, issues Alabama now has, even though their defense is up to snuff, it looks like offensively they're having some uh, some leadership issues at quarterback. Is it Cooper Bateman? Is it Jacob Coker? Josh, uh, I, I'm in, I'm a person who still looks at Alabama like it's still 1990. So I'm still concerned as to why you know they're stressed about their quarterback when they've routinely been about running the football and playing great defense and and had they done it Saturday I don't I don't think they talk about you know what to do after that loss
2: Yeah exactly uh, that new quarterback Chad Kelly uh, pretty mm-hmm. impressive 18 of 33 for 341 yards three touchdowns and then of course that circuits play that that's going to be the number one play on sports center for weeks to come uh, you can guarantee that uh, but the guy And you know who I'm going to be talking about here in a second. The guy that I kept my eye on the entire game was number five for Ole Miss. Robert Kimdichie. Robert I tell you what, (laughs) these haters, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a hater out there, listen to me very clearly. Turn on the Alabama tape from this season you will see everything that people that get paid quite a bit of money to do this have been explaining or trying to explain to you, the people. I mean, you saw it. He was not only productive, six tackles, two and a half for loss and a sack, Mm -hmm. but with the way that Ole Miss runs that defense, he was disruptive even though he wasn't completely productive at times. There were times where he was getting eaten by a double team, but that cleaned it up for his brother, Denzel Kimdichie, to make some plays. Of course, you talk about that uh, that just circus catch. The one that I'm always going to remember from that game as well uh, that has kind of turned into a pretty nice meme on social media has been the basically the crackback block on Coker after the pick. And Kenzel, or Denzel is just standing there, and he drilled him and then stood over him. That was one of the ones that I'm going to look, uh, look back at for a while, too. Um, but, no, I mean, Ole, Ole Miss set the precedent here. Two years in a row, they've beaten Alabama. This time, you know, they've not only beaten them at home, but on the road. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can't go into Bryant-Denny Stadium and win. Not very often.
3: It's and just not. Go. It's not very. It's not very easy at all. Uh, and going back to your point about Robert Kim I mean, there are going to be haters out there. Uh, one thing I will say is that, you know, a lot of official sites have him listed at six four, almost three hundred. I don't know if he's a. I don't. I think he's closer to six two. Um, his weight is still ambiguous. I don't know what it is yet. I'll say two eighty. I don't know if it's two ninety. But I'll tell you this: there are people who don't like him, and I think they're looking for different things from him. And so, Josh, based on the tape I've seen, and you can tell me how you feel about this, but I think uh, in that Ole Miss defense, they have a tendency uh, to incorrectly use uh, Kim Deechee within their defense. Uh, I think he's a guy who can be a three-tech in their system. They kind of do some three, four things Closer to a five tech, I think, is his role. Instead, they have him at nose a lot, and they have him anchoring a lot. And uh, his game is, you know, to me, penet- uh, uh, Kim is a born penetrator. Let, let him do what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can get, he can use his hands to quickly get through guys, uh, sift through garbage, get to the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage, and try to make a play. That's more along the lines what he wants to do. I don't like the fact that Ole Miss use him to anchor and to take on these double teams. Uh, it, it, I don't think that's what Kim is meant to do. I think he's meant to penetrate and make plays behind the line of scrimmage, and I think that's where he belongs, and that's where his value is.
2: Yeah, completely. I completely agree with you on that one, Montel, and I'll, uh, I'll dive into a little bit here, too, before we, uh, so I don't completely ruin uh, the next segment we have coming up since, uh, well, hell, I just gave you guys a hint. I'm going to be talking about Robert Kim DG.
0: <laughs>
2: um, but uh, no, I completely completely agree with you on this. Uh, matter of fact, if you watch that Alabama game closely, where was he most productive as a three technique? Or mm-hmm. there were times where he could show that he could play on the edge. See, he's a guy. Ah, he, he's a guy that I think could play three technique like a Leonard Williams type of player. Mm-hmm not as overly dominant as Leonard Williams was in college at USC, but in terms of what they do, he can kind of do the same things. He's long, he's tall, and he's extremely strong. We've seen visions and flashes of that throughout his career, and we even saw more of it on Saturday against Alabama. Um, What I would – if I was an NFL team, I mean, number one – I'm a nerd, guys. As you'll know, uh, I go out and I'll look at mock drafts, no matter how early they are, just to see where people are kind of pegging guys, to see whether or not, you know, people are on something or not. And <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that have Kim Deechee in the top ten. Now, is a lot of that off of his athletic, freak, freakish athletic ability? Could be. I think a lot of it could be too. Is I think people are now starting to realize what you and I have both kind of realized for a while now, Montel, which is that he was underutilized or wrongfully utilized at Ole Miss. You know, and, and I think uh, I think the defensive coordinator, when he goes back and watches this tape, he's going to realize he's going to be like, okay, hey, guys, we can't move yeah. Kim around any more than the three or the five. We can't put him at nose. We need him to be our three technique or our five technique because he's been pretty dominant here, and he has. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the good thing that I'm starting to, starting to see from him is that, you know, you watched him last year as a three technique, particularly against Alabama. Wasn't necessarily the greatest. His hands were off. He was slow at times. He got, you know, barreled off the line at times. This past game, I didn't see him four or five yards back in the defense, you know, up, up into the second level of the defense. Cause he just got basically destroyed on a double team. Uh, he, he was basically manhandling himself. You know, he, he was able to hold his own. So I really liked seeing that from him and I'm hoping I'm going to be able to see more. Um, not that there wasn't any other good games out there, Montel. Um, you know, I'll ring a couple off to you and then, uh, you know, ask you kind of what your thoughts on a couple, you know, obviously Clemson Louisville hell of a lot closer than what a lot of people thought it was going to be. Um, You tell Mm -hmm. me that Deshaun Watson's the quarterback with Louisville that doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of anything, and they made Mm -hmm. Jeremy Johnson look pretty good, I'd say that they were going to blow him out. But it ended up being a 2017 game. Watson wasn't bad, but he wasn't great. 21 of 30, 199 yards, and then he was two for two, you know, touchdown interceptions. The game that I kinda kept an eye on in the afternoon was basically Leonard Fournette versus
3: Auburn. Oh man That
2: dude is a freak.
3: Oh man. I mean you wanna talk about a guy who um and and I said it last year and, and people were, you know, oh well he's supposed to be the best player in America. I mean he was a freshman and you know Josh, he's incoming freshman that start they still are, you know, they still have their high school body, you know what I'm saying? They don't have that year of college conditioning, that's why a lot of these guys red shirt. But as an essentially a high school player, you you saw the flashes. And this year as a true sophomore with a year of the conditioning, a year of the diet, all that, uh, dramatic strides. You see a guy who can take off on you speed wise and is powerful, uh, to the point of uh well, I mean, I don't even have to describe it. I mean, you, you saw the Clemson, or you saw the the Auburn tape. There's a guy who tried to dive and tackle him, he just shrugged and kind of just, 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 you know, he just bounced right off. You know, like you throw a rock at a car, like that was kind of what you got. So, uh, Fournette's going to be extremely interesting to watch, and he's a. Uh, one of two sophomore running backs I really like, uh, Justin Jackson. Uh, I think he's a running back over at Northwestern. He's a little younger, not quite the same freakish talent, but extremely productive. Uh, but I, I really like I, I really like him a lot. I really like Fournette, and it's good to see him live up to that that number one recruit hype, or at least begin to uh, that we're seeing.
2: Yeah, you know e- exactly. Like I kind of agreed the same way. Um, you know, another person you can kind of say that about
3: could be oh, Josh, you know Garrett Carr. Went Henry, a little quiet there. To an Oh, wait, never mind. I turned my volume down. Go ahead, buddy.
2: (laughs) I was going to say, I I think some of that, you know, to an extent, you could say would be uh, Derrick Henry. I think you could say that about him to an extent. Um, You've really seen a jump from last year to this year with him. Um, And people who played Mm -hmm. college football will understand that. The more that your body is used to the the rigors and to the schedule of the off-season workouts, or the end season training and how to properly, you know, take care of yourself in a sense, you're gonna feel a hell of a lot better. And so while yep. Fournette has looked awesome, and, and real quick, a lot of people said that Fournette kind of disappointed last year. As a freshman, he did run for a thousand yards in the SEC. And it's one of the better seasons an LSU running back has had in quite some time. You know, and they've had some pretty decent running backs over the last couple of years.
3: So, mm-hmm. so very good. So, so,
2: Fournette has done his due. Maybe the reason why people think that is because he's absolutely killing it right now and it's so early in the season. You know, that could be it, too. But going back to Henry, you know, you, you saw it a lot last year with him. A lot of people, Montel, what were the one thing that people were saying about him last year? They were saying that he Man. looked almost exactly like a bigger, faster, Trend. Right. a little bit more oh. agile
3: Oh, Brandon Trent uh, Jacobs, right? Yeah. Oh, Trent Richardson. And Brandon Jacobs
2: as well. Yeah. You know, um, I, saw, I heard the Trent Richardson yeah. one and I heard the Brandon Jacobs one. This year, he looks a little bit more of Brandon Jacobs than he did Trent Richardson. Now, that doesn't necessarily say a whole lot, but you know, he, he's showing that he has that burst. And that's the biggest thing with him is he has the speed to run away from people. He he has shown it in every game this season, so I'm gonna be keeping an eye on him throughout the season too. Uh, you know he still he still got off a little bit, you know against Ole Miss's defense had 127 yards and you know on a rushing touchdown. Um, one last game I want to touch with you too. Stanford and USC, mm-hmm. 41-31. Now the surprising thing is that Cody Kessler was still efficient. 25 of 32. missed seven throws. So in a, in a in a time frame of three games, he's only missed
1: 12 around.
2: He's almost missed 19 throws. 20 throws, that's it. 272 yards and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And yet they still lost by 10. Who who is this Kevin Hogan that we saw on Saturday because we've been waiting for this guy to show up for the last couple of years.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I to be completely honest, I don't, I don't really know <laughs> if he's there. Uh, what I can say is a few different things. I think offensively they're starting to click more. These receivers are open because, you know, even in the uh, Northwestern game, he looked uh, pretty bad, but there are some drops and there were some wide receiver errors within that game uh, that was a part of why Hogan wasn't so great. So um, the receivers are playing at a higher level. The blocking is better, and I think uh, – You know, they were amped up for that game. You know, you're talking about a conference opponent. You're talking about your second loss of the season. I mean, people uh, had a reason to fight that game, and and I think that it showed. Uh, That's what they were looking for, and and they kind of got it out of him. Now, can he do it again and again and again? I I don't know yet. I'm hoping for his sake that he could make it happen, but I don't know for sure that this is going to be a consistent theme for Kevin Hogan. Uh, History says maybe not. Um, but going back to your Derrick Henry comment, uh, yeah, I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, just uh, not as dynamic as people like running backs to be, but short yard specialist, the guy who can power in between the tackles and help you out in pass blocking. A uh, little bit raw, but still uh, plenty of effort and, and, and potential there. And, uh, you know, I'll just, I probably mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but, you know, when Caputo tried to tackle him, whew, Uh, Henry's got legs like tree trunks, my man. Uh, Caputo went headfirst into one of his knees and came up bleeding and concussed. Uh, True story. Uh, Matter of fact, Caputo was so concussed that he lined up at Alabama's backfield and uh, attempted to... uh, Basically, lined up beside Jacob Coker, and, and, and like he was on Alabama's offense, he didn't know where he was, man. It was really scary. But, um, but more more to to your point, though, I think he's improving, and uh, if Alabama is going to turn it around, he's definitely going to, uh, you know, be a part of it.
2: Yeah, you know exactly. You know, I I can't agree more with you there. Um, I'm gonna you know continue to keep an eye on him, Montel. While we wait for Mr. John Doucette and Ralph Garcia to join us for the second part of our college football segment, it's time for us, uh, I know you're on Periscope, so to anybody following you on Periscope, go ahead and grab that blanket and your pillow, because it's time to have your draft fantasy. And after watching the way the Bears played on Sunday, I'm sure you're...
3: Fantasy is gonna be a pretty good one. Uh, man. Um, you know, I I gotta stick to more of the same. Um, I really, really, really like Ronnie Stanley. Um, what I I want to go traditionally traditionalist here with the Bears. I think Kyle Long is gonna do fine at tackle down the road. But if we can kick him in the and keep him at guard, or maybe haste, say hey, let's move him to left tackle because uh, Jermon Bushrod is, is pretty close to Finito. Uh, that might be a good move. So you can maybe put Kyle Long on the left, Ronnie Stanley on the right, and then, you know, work with your guards there. Or ideally, my first thought is move Kyle Long back to right guard, draft Stanley to play right tackle, and then slowly kind of repair that line. You know, you got Grasu coming up in a couple, maybe a year. He needs a year of NFL strength training, but I think Ronis Grasu can be, uh, a, a good center, a good NFL center uh, with time, and so if you do that, then you got three fifths of the type of line that you you might want. Um, going to other draft fantasies, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. See, this is tough. I was gonna I was gonna be nice and switch it up and say Miles Jack, which would have been awesome for obvious reasons. Um, but I, I'll throw in Jalen Smith here. Um, Jack was a guy. I mean, we'll get to a segment later, but Because of his ability to stack and shed, if you run a 3-4, you could use him inside as an inside linebacker, even though he plays off the ball traditionally. Uh, You look at Jalen Smith, uh, on his end, you can use him as a a will in a 4-3. I wouldn't quite uh, make him that that edge rusher in the 3-4. You usually like more length and those type of guys. But given the the lack of ability the Bears have there and given – I think the coverage prowess they're going to need. Why not have Jalen Smith play right there inside or outside in their system? Uh, I've been kind of toying with that uh, for quite some time. Uh, So between those two things and uh, maybe getting the corner, you know, Vernon Hargraves, I'll bang the drum again. I really think the move is uh to go and get yourself a corner. I know he's not gonna be elite right away, it's gonna take time in the same way it might be taking time for Kyle Fuller or Kyle Fuller might just be bad. I'm not really sure yet, but it's a work in progress. But but start by getting a guy. The Bears need to get a guy at corner who can ball and uh hardgraves would be a good start.
2: Yeah. Those are two guys that I really like. Jalen Smith and Brian Hardgraves. Those are guys that oh boy. Montel, those are my dudes right there. Um, I really like those two guys. Um, I think the biggest thing for the Vikings, you know, last week I kind of did it as an overall draft fantasy. You know, I think this season, you know, or this week, however, I'm going to go a little bit different. I'm going to go my Minnesota Vikings draft fantasy. Now, obviously, I talked about Robert Kimdichie. Might as well start off with him. The reason why I believe the Vikings could do good by taking Robert Kimdichie is that it's everything that we talked about before, Montel. He's an extremely versatile defensive lineman. I could play him as a three technique, and I could even play him, you know, out a little bit wide as my five. And I think him playing defensive end is more where he's going to make his mark in the NFL. Is as that, you know, as that perimeter guy. He, he's gonna be, a, he, he's gonna be your anchor. You know, he, he's not gonna be the guy. Uh, you know, he's not gonna be an elite pass rusher of some sort, at least early on. But he's gonna be able to anchor the edge, which is what we need. Now, interior-wise, you have Lindvall Joseph and you have Sharif Floyd. Joseph has been okay. In the, in the year and a half that he's been there, you know, this is supposed to be year two in Zimmer's scheme. It's supposed to be more comfortable and look better. He looked good in, in training camp and some of the preseason snaps he's taken, but after that, he hasn't really looked the part. Now, the guy that I really like is Sheldon Day. I love Sheldon Day, and I'll even I'll even steal yours. Even though I know it probably isn't going to be there because I know the Bears are the Vikings again this year, even okay. if it's two spots ahead.
3: Yeah. Uh,
2: but I like Jalen Smith here too. I would have exact, I would have copied you and said Miles Jack, but I think Jalen Smith is going to be that type of linebacker that the Vikings can use. Um, obviously, the Vikings played eighty percent of their snaps in nickel this past weekend. They're going to cool. want to be able to move Eric Hendricks out to the will, which is what they drafted him to be, take over for Chad Greenway. You can put Jalen Smith in the middle, or, you know, hell, even Miles Jack, you know, in a year or two. How about that line, linebacking core? Anthony Barr, Jalen Smith in the middle, and then Eric Hendricks And then you, you talk about a front front four that's already pretty decent. You know, So those are the two guys that I like. Uh, one last guy that I really like, and I'm going to throw him in here just because I like it. will be a pair again. If the Vikings do decide to go receiver, there's a lot of guys saying that they're going to go receiver. If they do, I'm really hoping we're in, we're in play for Laquan Treadwell. Um, Randy Moss type size body. And even Randy Moss type catch radius. Big, fast, physical. You know, why not give Teddy a legitimate target? You know, he's a core Patterson, but can actually run run routes. Um, But if the Vikings decide to go defense on this, I think they have, and they feel comfortable with their front seven, they have to address the secondary. Now, they already drafted a corner in Trey Waynes. You're going to allow him to develop. But safeties, they still need help at safety. Harrison Smith can't do it on his own. Jalen Ramsey... Is my guy. I really like Jalen Ramsey, and I think he's. And you're committed salt.
3: to taking him, moving him to safety.
2: Jalen Ramsey.
3: Yeah, moving him back to safety. Excuse me. I think moving some him people back like to safety would be the best play. Like, my Bears, for instance, would take him. They'll they'll just take him, and he could really be plugged in anywhere, <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, some people are strongly considering taking this guy. And this isn't my thing, but some people are taking him and, and kind of just keeping him at corner. Personally, I just want to take him in safety and and let him roam the field. You know, I don't want to tie a guy like that down the corner. So, I hear exactly. you.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I was thinking the same exact I was thinking the same exact thing Montell. Look, this kid's been a two-time All-American as a safety at Florida State. Led their team in interceptions. And that's with two corners that were drafted in the top 100. Mhm. Mm-hmm. You get a guy like that, you can allow Harrison Smith to play down on the line in those pressure packages. You have a true center fielder. You have a true free safety and and a ball hawk safety at that. Like a Jarius Bird. I think Jarius Bird is kind of his player comparison in terms of their range because they have range and they have ball skills. And before Jarius Bird had all those back injuries – he was a ball hawk, and nobody wanted to throw against Buffalo. So, I, you know, so that, that's my fantasy. You know, those are my fantasies. Um, but, Montel, we we reached the halfway point of the first hour um, here on the football weekly podcast show for NGSC Sports and NGSC Sports Radio. As always, I'm still your host, Joshua Zimmer, joined by Montel Hardy. Um, Montel, well, we am going to to you for half, a quick Joe. NGSC sports break. And then when we come back, we will talk uh, our Heisman top five. And then by that time, we will be joined by John set and Ralph Garcia to talk some Boston College football.
3: All right. Everyone, I'm Montel Hardy, and this is an NGSC sports news break. Just a reminder, you can listen in at NGSCsports.com. Uh, just go online, go to the weekly show page, it's still under the weekly URL, so you can go to com slash ngse-weekly to hear this show and many, many more. In the news now, Kevin Durant has been fully cleared for all basketball activities, the Thunder general manager Sam Presti said early Wednesday. Durant, who underwent three surgeries on his right foot to repair a Jones fracture last season, was partially cleared in August and participated in non-contact drills at a USA basketball minicamp. But with the Thunder opening training camp next week, he's said to be entirely recovered from the foot injury that held him to 27 games last season as as the Oklahoma City Thunder missed the playoffs. In other news, Barry Zito has returned home from a minor league season ready to turn his attention from baseball to his other love, music, perhaps for good. Now he will make one more start from a big league mound while opposing a close friend and former teammate, Tim Hudson. The baseball craze Bay Area is getting its Hudson versus Zito matchup on Saturday as so many hope, and it could be the last hurrah for the two former athletics pitchers. This is a bright spot for the A's in their final homestand of the year, which began with an 8 6 loss to the Texas Rangers on Tuesday night. Be sure to check out NGSE's Hottest Stories. Uh, First, we have Beating Vegas, Entry 2. That one is written by NGSE's G. Stelio. You can check that out. That is the first article uh, on the page listed out. Uh, The second one is 2015 NFL Matchup Mania Week 3. That one's by NGSE's Cal Nash. The student of the game premieres uh, this week's matchups and who will win. Everyone, just a reminder, you can check out these articles and so many more at NGSCSports.com. Once again, you're listening to the NGSC Weekly uh, Draft Podcast on NGSC Sports Radio, available on iHeart, Spreaker, and iTunes. I'm Alte Hardy. Back to you, Josh. Hey,
2: thank you, Montel, of course. Everybody go check out Kyle Nash's article. It's actually pretty solid. And even go to the NGSC Sports YouTube page and watch the newest video that they uh, placed up there. Montel, it's time to talk about our Heisman frontrunners. Obviously, it's a little early. It's a little premature. But why not? It's good to have a good conversation. Um, I might as well start off the list. Here's my top five. got Trayvon Boykin at number one, the quarterback out of TCU, and rightfully so. Number two is Leonard Fournette. Nick Chubb, running back out of Georgia. Zeke Elliott from Ohio State. And number five, Jared Goff, quarterback from Cal. But I got two sleepers. These sleepers are guys who aren't necessarily going to win it, but guys who are going to be pushing hardcore for some votes late in the season. Miles Garrett the defensive end from Texas A&M, the true sophomore. And Josh Rosen, the quarterback from UCLA. Montel, that's my five. Obviously, it's a little early to talk about it, but you know what? Everybody's out there already. They already got the Heisman voting open to the public. So you got to throw it out there. Um, but we are now being joined by Mr. John Doucette in Rafael Garcia. Gentlemen, how are you doing this evening?
1: Well, you were talking about Jared Goff, and I saw him play this past Saturday night against Texas. Very impressive performance by him, and I think that uh, in the Pac-12, everyone talks about Cody Kessler, but uh, this kid certainly deserves as much Conversation as Kesper gets.
2: Rightfully so. Rightfully so. And I think Montell can say the same thing about that. Um, I know he's a big Jerry Goff fan.
3: Yep. yep. Uh, oh, yeah. I yep.
2: myself am getting there slowly but surely.
3: John, um, he's, he's so good. Uh, you're talking about green footwork in the pocket, uh, some velocity down the field, adequate velocity. Uh, we're talking about uh, a guy who uh, makes intelligent decisions with the football. First and foremost, and and he just uh, he, he's accurate, you know, and, and you don't see it a lot, so I think he's going to get some pub down the road. He's one of my highest candidates. Uh, I'm not going to share my whole list here, but uh, Josh so disrespectfully didn't mention Nick Chubb in the highest candidacy list, and he should totally. Whoa, 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 whoa! Yes, I did. So. <laughs> he's my number three. Oh, you mentioned Ooh. Chubbs. Okay, I'm sorry. I missed it. Okay. Well, <laughs> Chubb, Chubbs in the mix, too. But, uh, you know, enough about these guys. Uh, you know, welcome to the show, Fun. It was good to have you.
0: Hey, what's going on, gentlemen? How you doing?
3: Doing good. We are doing good. Doing well, good.
0: I guess this is John's turn. Go, do your yes thing, sir. guys. Look, I,
1: I saw a great game Friday night. That's all I know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's what it looked like. It looked like it was a hell of a game from people who are like me who love watching defensive football. 14-0. John, what was Florida State doing defensively other than just legitimately dominating? You can't use that as an answer. That
1: was shutting down. Well, no, I I I really don't think they did all that much at all. I think Boston College's youth, unfortunately, came back to bite them. A young offensive line that wasn't ready for a prime time situation. A, a quarterback that also wasn't ready. They couldn't sustain drives. They couldn't make enough big plays to, uh, to give themselves a chance to even get into the red zone, never mind score. And then, unfortunately, they lose Darius Wade in the fourth quarter with a broken left ankle. And so now you've got uh, a quarterback issue that uh, is going to be played out in a competition that will take place during Saturday's game against Northern Illinois. Yeah.
3: John, you better be ready for a dogfight when you guys play Northern Illinois. Uh, well, I, you know, Ohio I saw State that sure performance wasn't. against Ohio State
1: uh, on Saturday, and, and I admit uh, they, uh, they played awfully well against the Buckeye team that I really don't think took them all that seriously.
3: Exactly, and, and I'm telling you, you, can't sleepwalk through these games. Uh, you know that Coach Rod Carey hasn't fighting hard. And, you know I see them play out here all the time. And one uh, well, one thing that's worth mentioning is that they have a very mature offensive and defensive front. So the difference between them and other teams are actually uh, being elite at the skills, some skill positions. But uh, their line can go to war uh, with a lot of people. As a matter of fact, Ohio State, and I think Urban Meyer said they they felt they felt like they were playing a Big Ten team, and uh, so that's worth mentioning you guys are in, in for a little bit of a battle john
1: no I, I i tend to agree and i and i think the battle becomes a bit more of a concern based on the fact that uh you now have two quarterbacks that are going to be battling for a, a starting position during this game uh, jeff smith and troy sludy are going to get the opportunity both of them are going to have individual packages that'll be designed to their skill set and uh You know, Coach Adasio is just going to let these guys battle it out during an actual game to determine who becomes the guy that is the next quarterback of this team for the rest of the year.
0: Hey, hey, John, got a question for you. You know that during the college football season, well, any football season, we're talking college football now. That you know, there are those games, those games they call track games, and. When you come off a game like Northern Illinois just came off of so close yet so far, but that's got to do a whole lot for a football team like that. And what it does for Northern Illinois now playing Boston College and the possibility that this could be one of those games that, well, you know, can ruin a season early. Well, look, I've said all along that
1: Boston College, if they wanted to go to a bowl game, had to be 3-1 by the end of September. So that means Mm -hmm. they need to win this game. If they want to get the seven wins that they need to get to, to be able to be bowl-eligible, and they have to get seven wins because their first two games were against FCS opponents. So this is one that they really do have to have, and it's it's unfortunate that now they're going to have to try and figure out a different way to pull it off, but uh, they need to win this game if they have any inclination of being a bowl-eligible team.
0: That's all I got for John.
1: Look, I think Uh, BC's defense, by the way, played awfully well in this game. Two guys in particular, Harold Landry, who ended up being the ACC Defensive Player of the Week, 11 tackles, one and a half sacks for the game, and linebacker Steven Daniels, who had seven uh, tackles for the game. Those two guys really led a BC defense that did an outstanding job of holding what I think a lot of people would think is a high-powered Florida State offense to 217 total yards and only 98 yards on the ground. I think they did a great job. They played their hearts out. It's just too bad that the offense could not uh, come through with uh, a play that uh, could have potentially changed that and turned that game around.
3: Yeah, that team uh, really fought defensively. I mean, you said it, and that's why I told you, that you were in store for a gym because they had some issues. Uh, basically, uh, you know, scoring, but on the defensive side, they were forcing turnovers, forcing some incohesiveness. They had gotten Everett Golson into a little bit of a log jam offensively, and so uh, it's it, true. It, it was a great game to watch, and 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 they fought so hard.
1: You know, it's it, it, it really the interesting part of that game is that Golson on that first drive was terrific. He was five of five, took that team down the field. They scored right off the bat. I mean, it looked like it was going to be a long night for BC, but all of a sudden, you know, the Eagles made those defensive adjustments and they um, they executed them well on the field. And the next thing you know, you've got a seven-nothing game starting the fourth quarter, which is exactly where Davio and BC wanted that game to be. They had a chance to win. Unfortunately, John Hillman fumbles the football, and that turns out to be the, the second score of the game on the uh, uh, the scoop and return by Ramsey. But, um, you know, Boston College was right where they wanted to be when that fourth quarter started.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly, John. And so you talk about, you know, those Huskies. I know Montel's going to really get excited about this one. You know, you talk about those Huskies coming to town. Uh, offensively, what do you think is going to be the focus this week?
1: Well, I, I think Boston than, College is going to try himself, and though. take the – I just think Boston College is going to try to take the running of the game away from Northern Illinois. I think they're going to try and dominate the line of scrimmage as best they can and uh, try and play the field position game. I mean, that was the other part of the game with Florida State that was very interesting. It became a field position game based on both punters from both teams uh, being able to pin each other's offense deep in their own territory. I think if Boston College can do that again against Northern Illinois, I think it will give them opportunities to take advantage. But I do think the B.C. front seven is something that Northern Illinois has to be concerned about because right now they're playing as well as they can play.
0: And that's exactly
2: what I wanted to, to bring that up to you. Uh, you're going against the quarterback and Drew Hare, 64 of 95, 798 yards, and six touchdowns so far this season. Do you think there's going to be a little bit more of an emphasis on getting home in their pressure packages in that game?
1: Oh, I think they're going to uh, to try and put as much pressure on here as they possibly can. I think they're going to try and and force him to make decisions that he's not going to be comfortable with making. I think defensive coordinator Don Brown is going to uh, to dial up defenses that uh, here is uh, is going to have some issues with. That's the idea. Look, you know Adazio knew going into the season that Boston College's offense was not going to be at the same level or the same pace as his defense is going to be at. And that, unfortunately, has turned out to be true. Um, and I think that uh, you know, right now he needs his defense to kind of win the game for him, not necessarily win the game, but at least put his team in position to win the game. That was the case last Friday night with Florida State. It's going to have to be the case against Saturday against North Illinois.
3: Yeah. yeah, and and I agree with John too. Just a couple names to watch out for. Kenny Galladay is, and I use uh, a big play receiver, 20 catches, 300 and uh, about 70 yards, and a couple touchdowns. So, I uh, gotta shut him down on the outside and uh, just be uh, be cognizant. And I use defense is nothing to toy with either. They're actually fourth in college football in terms of creating turnovers. They've got nine. Uh, through three games this year, two fumbles, seven picks. So uh, I know you've got the rotating quarterbacks in there, John, and hopefully they'll wear uh, for Saturday.
1: Well, I think the one thing B.C. is going to have to do is they've got to pass the football better than they did Friday night. Their inability oh, yeah. to, to vertically throw the ball down the field really became a problem if that game went along. If that problem reemerges on Saturday, they're going to have the same issues.
2: And, John, other than the Boston College game,
1: what is another game that you're going to be tuning into this weekend? Well, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm very interested. Well, I, I won't be able to see it, but Notre Dame-UMass is interesting only in in the sense that Notre Dame has really been ravaged by injuries. And, uh, you know, Coach uh, Brian Kelly has talked this week about uh, basically next man up, and, and uh, his depth is really starting to be challenged based on these injuries. Uh, they played very well against Georgia Tech last Saturday. I was surprised at that. I thought Tech – would give them more of a game than they did. Uh, But, um, you know, Notre Dame seems to be rising to the challenge. This is one of those classic trap games because next week, you know, Notre Dame goes to Clemson to play a football team that uh, is very, very good and and is certainly going to be in the middle of the ACC mix when all is said and done. So um, I think that uh, we'll we'll get a chance to see what kind of focus Notre Dame possesses and uh, just – how good the depth of this team is, because it's starting to be tested.
3: Yeah, and and real quick, John, I I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. Forgive me, guys. I'll break a rule here, but this is an extreme circumstance. Uh, When you talk about things that are going to happen on Saturday, uh, we could very well see Barry Zito on the mound for the last time, facing off against former teammate Tim Hudson. John, I know know you're going to tune in for that, too. I, I know you're ready for this game.
1: Look, I am very surprised that the Oakland A's did this to begin with. Um, And, and look, I understand that Barry Zito was a draft pick of theirs, and he certainly had quite a run during the early stages of his career with the Oakland A's. And they decided to allow him the opportunity to to go out in an A's uniform, which is is all nice and all. Uh, You know, Barry Zito had a, a very good career, especially with the A's. His career with the Giants didn't quite pan out the way it did. He signed that mm-hmm. big contract with them. It didn't work out the way everybody had hoped, despite the fact that Zito, in a small way, did help the Giants win a world championship. But, uh, yeah, it will be nice to see you know, Barry Zito go out the way he wanted to and, and the Oakland A's provided him with that chance. It's very rare, especially in Major League Baseball, for teams mm-hmm. to allow players who started in their organization who may have gone on to greener pastures uh, to come back to the original organization that they started with and finish their career, which is what the A's have allowed Barry Zito to do.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks.
2: Well, John, uh, thank you, you very much, as
3: always. <laughs> oh, Unless
2: Montel, did you have something else for
3: him? Oh, 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 no, 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 that's it. Just just thanks again, guys, for all your, uh, your effort. I mean, and, you uh, know,
2: yeah.
3: I, no, I thought no, for sure no, you guys no,
1: would we, talk about, you know, Texas losing that game to Cal last Saturday night on a missed <laughs> TAT when they tied
3: the game. They, yeah, uh, it, it was closer than I thought it would be, but I think uh, you know you think about we actually referenced it earlier a little bit in terms of how well uh, golf played and and uh, the loss there. To me, it's one of those things where it's like, a I thought Cal was going to blow him out of the water, but Strong kept it close. But uh, keep a watch on Charlie Strong, in Texas. I'm getting word that wow. uh, he's already on the hot seat. And <laughs> well, look not. at it
1: this way: Texas found okay. a quarterback Saturday night, which might take him off that hot seat, that
3: hot seat. Yeah, Hurd can play, and, and, and it only took a few snaps for you to think, why on earth did he lose the job to begin with? Because we all know Swoops uh, was never anything special, you know?
1: And, and you, you guys talked about Fournette earl- a little earlier. The way that he ran rough shot over Will Muschamp's defense at Auburn is, I think, something to be concerned about if you are Gus Malzahn.
3: Absolutely. Gus Malzahn went out and kind of uh, uh, got Muschamp because he knew he could uh, run a good defense. And, you know, this was, this was you know, an ideal situation for him. Uh, so when he comes in and doesn't coach a good defense, on top of the fact that Muschamp is a guy who is secretly eyeing, I'm sure, some other head coaching positions, it, it makes this kind of a, a, an absolute zero. You know, it, it doesn't really well, give I'll them Well, I'll tell you what, if Muschamp is looking for other change. jobs,
1: if that's what he's doing, that performance last Saturday is not going to help.
3: Yeah, he might not get him. He might not get him. Absolutely. I'm not, but but the the thought here is, how long is that guy going to get stay in the defensive coordinator's chair after experiencing the, the greener pastures of head coach in the SEC? So, um, but I'm with you. I don't know if he's qualified either, John. Especially if you can't coach a good defense. Well, especially
1: if you get a defense run over by a running back, that that's not going to help your profile in any way, shape, or form. And and the other one I would throw out there is is Stanford's performance against USC. You know, I I really was interested in how Kevin Hogan was finally going to play in a big game. He's had problems against SC in the past. He's trying to establish himself as a Sunday quarterback in the NFL. He really needed to have a good game on national television. He did. That team did. And I think that, uh, you know, Kevin Hogan's stock may have risen somewhat based on that performance last Saturday night.
3: Yeah, and I agree. And, and that was one of those games that was interesting. Me and Josh touched on this a little bit earlier. Uh, Kevin Hogan reached back and had a special game that night that was, uh, you know, per his metrics, it was a special game. And, and against USC and against Cody Kessler, they really got up for this game. And that's what you see. Stanford likes to play USC, and they usually bring out the best in each other. And uh, this this year, this this past week, was absolutely no different.
1: All right, now we can have John St. Ruffin on this. I can now leave.
0: <laughs> well, John, great All, right, John, good break, all buddy. you have to do is hang up the phone, and we'll still be here. All righty, sir. I will. Have a great night, John. All home, righty, John Hayes, hey,
2: always. Good to see you, John. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for coming all right, on. See you us. next week. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. See you next week. So, all right. Now was John Duset, our Boston College football analyst, giving us a little bit of the rundown. On Boston College Football. Uh, Montel, real quick, before we hit our final break of the evening, heading into Hour 2, I'm just going to say this. uh, For football fans out there, I'm telling you, if you're looking for a good college football game to watch this weekend, you might want to try and find some passwords to the Pac-12 network. Here's the three games you need to keep an eye on. You got UCLA at Arizona. Obviously, Josh Rosen going against that Arizona defense that is supposed to have the return of Scooby Wright, the star inside linebacker who has missed the last couple games due to a knee injury. And I also want to see how Josh Rosen plays against that defense. Then you'll have Utah and Oregon. Devontae Booker versus that Oregon front seven. If you watch that Michigan State game, They're able to run it on him pretty efficiently. But I also want to see how Vernon Adams plays against that Utah pass defense uh, and see if he can have himself another great game. And then another game that you have to keep an eye on, just because I want to see if it's going to continue to happen, is the dominant play of Cody Kessler and the fact that he has been so efficient with the football going up against that vaunting maroon monsoon is what they call that Arizona State defense, down in Tempe at Sun Devil Stadium. Uh, Can Arizona State force turnovers on them? If they do, it could be the the game-changing factor.
3: Uh, Well, the question is can they can, uh, or can they to begin with, uh, can they do it? I I don't know if they will. I I know that their defense is pretty good. Uh, They... uh, They held the last opponent to a reasonable amount of yardage. But to me, it's going to be about turnovers. Can they create them? And this is an offense that simply doesn't really give up the ball. So uh, I'll be watching for that, too. Uh, As you know, uh, another big Pac-12 matchup is Utah versus Oregon. Uh, I think that's going to be extremely important to see how – uh you know uh, how uh, Oregon's quarterback uh Adams uh, basically responds to you know his previous week's performance uh, Utah's on the upswing uh so I think both these teams are going to go at it at the Austin Zoo and this will be a fun game to watch as well uh looking forward to some other I, games this week I got a game I got a oh, game Oh you got a game one, 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 Go ahead Oh yeah let's yeah, hear no,
0: it no. Keep 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 going but I, I I'll take the game when it's my turn I got a game
3: <laughs> okay, give me, give me. All right, I'll take one more crack at it, and I'll say in the Big 12, TCU is going to play Texas Tech. Uh, Josh, you know I love my Big 12 football, and uh, TCU put 80 points on Texas Tech last time they played, and the game wasn't nearly close. And TCU is even better this year, and 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 so is Texas Tech, but I really want to see if uh, if Tech can you know it, turn this into a game. I think with the type of high-powered offense that uh, Texas Tech has with uh, uh, Mahomes at quarterback, they can compete, but they have to at least try to defend. Last year was an awful display of defense. Ralph, you said you got a game?
0: I got a game. I got a game. You got a game, everybody. Oh, let's hear it. I got a game. Let's hear the game. Right Right here in the south where all the southern folks is. And that game, Mm -hmm. folks, of course, would be the huge game that's going to be played in Gainesville this weekend. Uh, For all of us that know about Tennessee football, you think of the name Philip Fulmer. And for the first 20 years that I was in Tennessee, once I moved here, Tennessee football was the closest thing to God in this state, and this is a team that always found itself in the top ten, top five, playing in big bowl games, playing for national championships, finally winning a national championship, but those days have been long gone since the days of Philip Fuma being gone, and of course Tennessee had to go through the fiasco that was Lane Kiffin, and some guy named Dooley came to hang out here for a couple of years, and I don't want to say anything further about that. Of course, Butch Jones then comes here, and he's changed the, the landscape of Tennessee, the feeling in Tennessee, the faith in Tennessee, the belief in the from the fans, from the alumni, from the team. He, he's changed everything about it. The only thing is you can rah-rah it all you want. There comes a point where you have to start winning those games. It was put on one of the uh, local stations here. One of the guys said it very well when he said, Butch Jones has got to make, has got to have, how do I say, make his team understand that it's time to start playing like Goliath and not David. Now, people would say, but David won. That's not the point here. The point here is to play like Goliath with the belief that it's time. It's been 10 years, a run of 10 consecutive wins for Florida against Tennessee. During those 10 years, the volunteers have run for just over 500 yards total, in those 10 years. Folks, that's a little over 50 yards a game. That's not going to cut it. This is the Florida defense that's pretty stout this year. Their offense, of course, there's still questions as far as the quarterback and the system. They do have the skilled players at receiver, but Tennessee finds itself in a position that for the first time in years, they know that they have the players on the offensive front, the defensive front, the skilled players at wide receiver. They have Jalen Hurd in the backfield. You've got a kid that's 240 pounds with a little bit of speed. And more importantly, Joshua Dobbs, who gained national attention last year with what he brought to the Tennessee offense and the excitement he brought back to Tennessee and Knoxville. But. Again, here's a kid who's going to have to understand. I believe it was 13 of 31 against Oklahoma. That's not going to cut it against Florida. He's going to have to be more effective in the passing game. But more importantly, Dobbs is going to have to run the football. He's going to have to use, you know, that moment, that read option, and know when he's done pretty good at that. But you see there's... Still a lot to learn for Dobbs when it comes to the passing game, for him being more efficient, making better decisions. And this is so huge right now because this is the third year for Butch Jones. It comes a point in time in a coach's career, a coach's tenure in a school where you have to ask, did we make the right move? If there is a time for the volunteers and this state of Tennessee, and I'm telling you, boys, this state is buzzing like crazy because this is Florida. I mean this is this is a team that is despised and vice versa. And it is so huge right now for Butch Jones and this program to win this game because to lose it, we know, Josh, you as a football player, know to lose this game. It's not just to lose this game, but the possibility of losing momentum for the rest of the season and hopefully not this tenure because it's so important. So Obviously, being down here in SEC country, we'll be paying big attention to Florida hosting Tennessee and see if uh, you know they can finally make the push. Last year it was ten nine; it was nine nothing in the fourth quarter, and Tennessee found a way. This time, it's time to find a way to win. So that's the huge one for me down here, boys. Yeah,
2: exactly. And that's going to. Thanks for bringing that up. That's a, probably the one SEC game that people should be tuning into this week. Uh, Montel, with that being said, uh, we're getting ready to spill in over to the second hour. So I will throw it over to you for a read from our sponsors and a quick NGSE Sports update. And when we come back, we will still be joined by the CEO of the company, Mr. Ralph Garcia, and we will talk some NFL football and some of the injury news around the league. So Montel, without further ado... It's on to you, my friend.
3: Uh, thanks, Josh. Thanks. Um, let me see here. Hello, everyone. It's Montel Hardy of the NGSC Draft Central Podcast here. Just letting you know your season-long fantasy football lineup is locked in and ready to go. But you don't have to wait until week 16 to get paid. Put your fantasy skills to the test starting Sunday at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site where you could kick the season off by winning $2 million. Uh, once again, DraftKings is uh, the biggest fantasy football contest ever. $10 million in prizes up for grabs, $2 million for first place, and $1 million for second. It's the biggest fantasy football contest ever. Uh, you got to look at it. We have one week fantasy football available, uh, no season long commitments, and it's fantasy football on demand, guys. So play where you want, when you want, with the players you want. Now, it's not you know, like some of the other leagues uh, where you're tied down for the entire season. Just pick your players, pile up the points, and pick up your cash, and it's Just that simple. I promise you've never experienced football like this. A good friend of mine by the name of Bernard doesn't like to spend a lot of money on the site. He still came away with nearly $200 in winnings uh, in just one week uh, at DraftKings. So, uh, everyone, this isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. So, hurry to DraftKings.com and use promo code SPREAKER, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, to play for free for a shot at a part of $10 million on Sunday's Millionaire Maker event. Enter Spreaker for free entry now, only at DraftKings.com. Once again, that's DraftKings.com. And we're entering an NGSC Sports news break. Uh, Everyone, I'm Montel Hardy here with you. And uh, just a reminder, you can listen in at NGSCSports.com. You can listen to this show and many, many more on the weekly show page. Just go to NGSCSports.com, go to the show tab, click the weekly, and you'll have all our shows right there at your fingertips. Uh, Moving on, and in the news now, Kevin Durant has been fully cleared for all basketball activities. Thunder General Manager Sam Presti said early Wednesday. Durant underwent three surgeries on his right foot to repair a Jones fracture last season and was partially cleared in August uh, to participate in non-contact drills at a USA Basketball mini camp. Uh, but with the Thunder opening training camp next week, he said to be entirely recovered from the foot injury that held him to just 27 games last season as the Thunder missed the playoffs. In other news, Barry Zito has returned home from a minor league season and will make one more start from a big league mound while opposing close friend and former teammate Tim Hudson. The baseball craze Bay Area is getting its Hudson versus Zito matchup on Saturday as so many hoped, and it could be the last hurrah for the two former athletics pitchers. This is a bright spot for the A's in their final homestand this year, which began with an 8-6 loss to the Texas Rangers Tuesday night. A little shout-out to everyone. Be sure to check out NGSE's Hottest Stories. Uh, In the news now is Beating Vegas, entry 2. That one is by G. Stelio of NGSEsports.com, football writer. He does a great job with some of these articles. Uh, G's a very, very knowledgeable football mind. And while we're on the topic, I'll go ahead and uh, show off Josh's article. Yeah, that's right, Josh Zimmer, our own Josh Zimmer from the show itself, has written Vikings Film Room, Blitz Game. Uh, this will be real interesting. Even if you look at the cover picture on the article we have, it looks like Chad Greenway tackling a uh, miserable Matt Staffords, to the ground. Uh, great choice of pictures, buddy. But as we move forward, uh, this is an article, a film breakdown, of some of the things the Vikings were able to do to frustrate the Detroit Lions and, and how they were able to pick up the win. The uh, Just a little reminder to everyone out there, you can look at these articles and so many more at NGSCSports.com. Once again, you're listening to the NGSC Weekly Flagship Show on NGSC Sports Radio, available on iHeart, Spreaker, and iTunes. I'm Montel Hardy. Back to you, Josh.
2: As always, Montel, thank you very much for throwing me some sugar. I appreciate that. And, yeah, it's a great that album. picture was a good it really choice is. of picture. It was a good choice of picture.
1: You
3: know, you've
2: got to have Eric Hendricks in there. you got to have Eric Hendricks. Uh, Eric Hendricks looked pretty ah, pretty solid.
3: Eric is 54. Okay, uh, there we go.
2: You know, Eric Hendricks looked pretty solid. So, uh, but heading into it, uh, we are going to continue to start off the second hour of our show, talking some NFL football. And with that, we are joined by the CEO himself, Mr. Rafael Garcia. Ralph, uh, obviously you chipped in a little bit with us for college football, and now it's time to chip in uh, for a little bit of some NFL action. Obviously, the headlines coming out of week two were pretty much as followed. Johnny football gets a win. DeMarco Murray still sucks, or, uh, sorry, struggles.
3: Whoa, I whoa. Oh, sorry, easy. guys. Uh, <laughs> sorry
2: about that. Uh, I must have spelled struggles wrong. And then uh, injuries, injuries, injuries. Uh, that's about it. Um, but when you look back at it, or I should actually say uh, look forward into the week three headlines, basically goes as followed. Cam's back, Dallas trades for a QB, and the Browns pull a typical Browns move. Um, so looking at it, Montel, you know, I'll turn it to you. Or Actually, you know, Ralph, I'll turn it to you first. Montel, uh, you know, spent a little bit of air previously. I'll let you take a quick five on this one. Uh, Ralph, you <laughs> know, when we talk about it, you know, we're immediately, I'm going to ask you about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you've been around for quite some time on this earth, which means you've been there, you've been able to watch the Browns when they were good, and you've been able to watch them well since they've sucked, which has practically been my lifetime. Uh, <laughs> if anybody had a chance to watch the game on Sunday, they're going to understand, yes, Johnny Football did maybe make some throws that he shouldn't have and, and maybe turned the ball over a couple times in the two games that he's played. However, heading into week two, Nobody would have expected them to have a twenty one point lead on Marcus Mariota and the Tennessee Titans heading into the second half. Yet alone Johnny football having a hand in that with throwing a pair of touchdown passes. They end up winning this football game. Granted, a lot of this, you know, can't give it all to Johnny. You gotta give a little bit to that defense, you know, being able to hold them until the fourth quarter. But he's he's basically proven that he's the prodigal son. He he is the future of that franchise. Why? Are you not going to allow yourself, as an organization, as a fan base, and as a team that is kind of struggling to find the identity at quarterback, to ride with Johnny Football and instead bring in Josh McCown so that he can run it into the end zone and do a you know pull another Elway and be out for a
0: couple games?
2: You know, Ralph, your thoughts on that? Yeah.
0: You know, first things first. You know, you you go to the pick in the draft when. Johnny Manziel was picked. And when you pick a kid, I believe it was a 23, you're sending a message that uh, to your fans, for sure, that this is the future of your franchise. And we all know that the franchise players, usually the quarterback of the football team. The first questions coming out about Johnny Football, as they call him, was, and as I always say, can could his Saturday game translate to Sunday? And that's been the problem, I think, for the Cleveland Browns. Yes, popular belief, popular demand would have, look, just put the kid in, let him learn. The problem with that is, of course, the Cleveland Browns, thinking of it as an organization, do not have that trust. When you look at Johnny Manziel and what he brings to the NFL, he shows that he can still create plays by being Johnny Football. But when you look at his game, I mean, folks, somebody please tell me where the read progression is. Somebody tell me how effective he is at scanning the field and knowing what's going on. His reaction time is so fast coming out of that huddle, out of that snap. Once that first read is gone, maybe the second, this kid is thinking about staying alive and moving around. He just doesn't have the grasp. Of NFL football and how to run that offense just yet and the Cleveland Browns can't trust that we all want to see him but the the Browns obviously and I feel the same way he's just not ready for the long haul
2: yeah you know and and the biggest thing with that you know I agree with that uh, you know to an extent you know the thing that I like is that yeah you know he's running around you you kind of said it best you know, to where, you know, after his first and second reads are gone, he's kind of running around for his life. Well, the thing that I like about this is that he's running around for his life with his eyes downfield. He's not scanning the, you know, he he's not looking for running lanes. He's he's actually trying to play quarterback. And, and so this is something that, you know, this is something that I like, you know, and I think that it's going to be better for this team in the long run is if they, they just allow it to, you know, if, if you allow it to happen and you just ride with them, you're going to be okay. You know, there, there's going to be no, I mean, no problems with this, you know? So that's the biggest problem I think is that this Cleveland Browns organization has is I think that even within the coaching staff, they're torn. I, th- I think the coaching staffs are torn, as to just who to start, um, but Montella, you, you, my friend, uh, we are having such a great show, and then I, I slip up on one word, and then you immediately get pissed and don't talk anymore. Uh, I accidentally said Demarco sucks. Um,
3: yeah, I've been over here fuming. and No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't really care. I'm not I much of a a, a eagle I, I fan. Didn't mean, I didn't
2: mean to. I promise. Well.
3: No. I, I half, no, like
2: half promise that I didn't mean to. Um, but getting into this, number one, I gotta ask: Do you think Demarco Murray is really second guessing his decision to go to Philadelphia? Because it has nothing. Well, mm-hmm. And you could say, I would be willing to bet, uh, if I were a betting man. Uh, and maybe we could call DraftKings about this and set this up. But if I was a betting man, I would say that the majority of the reason that he is struggling is because of the fact that he just flat out doesn't have the offensive line that he does in Dallas. I mean, he doesn't have the the great wall of Dallas 2.0 in Philadelphia. He has a bunch of you know, necessary nobodies. I mean, they got rid of Evan Mathis. Yeah, they got a right tackle in, in Lane Johnson, who was a first-round pick. But after that, Jason Peters is not playing like a, a top-end tackle that he normally is. You know, they got, was, I think, one or two rookies or first-year guys on that offensive line, and they don't have necessarily any quarterback play. So, do you think he's kind of, you know, scratching his head or even kicking himself as to why he didn't stay in Dallas?
3: Mm, it depends on what his goals and his motives are. Like if he didn't care about the fact that the Cowboys essentially tried to run him into the ground last year, then I can tell you, you know, no. I mean, he, er no, yes. I mean, he'd probably want to be back in Dallas right now, getting 250 plus carries and getting, you know, uh, the, you know, some lumps and some bruises. Because with Tony Romo injured, uh, he could be getting lots and lots of touches for. Uh, the rest of the year, or at least until Romo comes back. Uh, but I'm of the thinking that he is more intelligent, more of a businessman. Uh, wants to get the ball a lot, but doesn't want to get, you know, quite <laughs> the type of workload he had in Dallas. And he wants to be used in an efficient in a system that's efficient and can be, you know, that can win. So uh, personally, I don't think he he regrets it at all because uh, this type of scenario gives him the chance to not just uh, be productive. But also to be used in rotation alongside uh, uh, Ryan Matthews, and I, I think their quarterback play is going to get better. Um, in that first game, uh, you know, Philly struggled against uh, before they played the Cowboys. They played, was it the Giants? It, it was. I can't quite say who it was, but they were they were really good, and it was pretty solid. So uh, that's the way I put it. Is that this is one of those things where. Uh, it's all about what you want, and I think Demarco Murray wants to be in Philadelphia, but he won't. He realized though that Sam Bradford is not Tony Romo, but but he'll still be good though.
2: I mean, it's compelling with what you said. It truly is. Uh, but I, me, I mean, we all play fantasy. Uh, it's no lie. All of us play fantasy football, and we're struggling as to basically come to grips as to why he left. I I can't find the motives as to why he left. Uh, there in my opinion, I don't see a, a motive of leaving a Dallas a perennial playoff team, a team that I mean hell, you led the league in rushing last year with that offensive line, and you actually were able to stay healthy doing it and then all of a sudden, boom you you bounce so was it it had to either in my opinion, it had to be either the money or it had to be kind of along the scenes that you said maybe he had a different motive or there was something in-house that he didn't like. Uh, but but those were the headlines. Uh, you know the other ones that we talked about. You know obviously we're not going to talk about the Vikes because they got a win, but they looked crappy doing it. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Bears because they got a loss and they looked crappy. doing oh, it. Oh
0: man, I thought we were going to talk uh, about the Bears. But the biggest thing like, is that I like wow. talking to Bears with Montel.
3: Oh God, do we? Montel, I guess I guess I mean we do. Tell
0: me a story about the
3: Bears. Okay. Well, once upon a time, the Bears stop playing defense. The end, Ralph. The end. There is no more. You know, like, I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, one thing I can't tell you is from what I've seen from the tape, which I was so graciously able to uh, find and work out through, you know, my friendship with a good buddy helped me out. But any, anyways, uh, Bears tape uh, Sunday. A lot of people rip on Shane McClellan because he's not very good, which I totally understand. Uh, but Christian Jones is no good either. So when you have a 3-4 with two inside linebackers that are not penetrating, not shedding blocks, that are not sh- really making plays, then you got some issues. Uh, when you think about a 3-4 system, another aspect of that is the push up front. The defensive line has to be very good. You think about your noses and your 5 techs. One of those guys has to demand double teams. Down in, down out. Once you do that, you can free up one-on-ones outside for your edge rushers and whoever else to win. Um, I think the biggest thing here is I think the Bears – need to solidify what they have up front. Eddie Goldman played very good in week two, despite the fact that the defense as a whole didn't play well. To me, get rid of Jarvis Jenkins. He has no no room. We don't have no room on our defensive line for him. Move him. He's a slower, you know, one-tech nose guy. We don't need him. Move Goldman to the nose guard position. And look at that roster and see if Sutton, maybe try Willie Young, maybe move McPhee down there, maybe move Houston. Do what you can to find yourself a, a penetrating five-tech who's, who's able to kind of make some plays. But stop trying to play these guys out of position just because they're big and good. I know you want your best 11 on the field, but when, you're not on, but when you don't have a very good team to begin with, it's, uh, it, it's tough. It's tough.
0: Yeah, well, is it going to get any better this week? you got Seattle 0-2 coming in. Uh, Cam Chan yeah. back, and I figure I the Seahawks are, I don't know, kind of pissed right now.
3: Yeah, no, they, they definitely are. Definitely. Uh, but I was just going to drop in there. One thing I didn't want was for the Bears to have to travel to Seattle to play a, a ticked-off Seahawks team that is 0-2. And now we have all that, and plus they got Chancellor back. So, I, you know, I, the line is 14.5 points. That's where the Bears Ooh. are at. They're a 14.5 point Ooh. underdog. So that, that tells you. That tells that you. Saying, go ahead, John.
2: You know, and in, in going off of what you said, Montel, uh, you know, real quick, and even what you said too, Ralph, uh, not only are the Seattle Seahawks pissed, but there's a particular player who is pissed about his role, and that's Jimmy Graham. And as you can see they're they're going to be I mean you're, you're gonna be pissed about that role uh, you're, you're a perennial tight end and then all of a sudden boom you know you get traded to the Seattle Seahawks and you you know your role has drastically de- declined you're not getting as many catches that you as you normally have you are definitely not the number one view in the red zone uh, as the target which you should be uh, I you know the thing is, is that they need to find an easy balance for this offense. You know, you've you watched it, Montel. I've had a chance to go back and watch a couple of the tape thanks to uh, the NFL being so glorious and allowing fans to, you know, watch NFL Game Rewind and even allowing some of us analysts to get a chance to get into the game. They don't have the rhythm that they did in 2014, for the 2014 season. Uh, it's actually quite sporadic. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how – they play it against the you know, against the Chicago Bears. You watch the Seahawks when they played the St. Louis Rams. Everybody thought that game was going to be a wash, uh, no matter how good that St. Louis Rams defense was. And then all of a sudden, boom! Uh, we're talking about a game that went to overtime and basically was a fourth and one away from keeping that game alive. Which you know, we talked about it last week. They're not very good friends with you know fourth and one or you know short line situations um, you can just go back to the Super Bowl and and watch that Um, but Ralph I can't have Montel outdo me since he since he talked about the uh, you know a little bit of those Chicago Bears you know I'll I'll give you a little bit on my Minnesota Vikings Uh, I'm on Periscope live right now by the way so if you guys want to tune in just uh, click on the NGSE Sports Draft Central Twitter page and be able to follow us uh, and you'll be able to watch us live and, and see my face or see Montel's face. Uh, but the biggest thing with the Vikings is that, number one, Adrian Peterson, you've got to hold on to the damn ball. Uh, three fumbles. Yeah, you, you have four in two games. Uh, I mean, you haven't had four fumbles in, in quite some time. I mean, granted, last year you didn't play 13 games, so maybe there's a little bit of rust there. But you have four fumbles in two games. Uh, you got lucky with one of them coming on the goal line because the Lions lined up in the neutral zone. Uh just the luck of the draw. And then you didn't even get a chance to get the touchdown after you helped drive him down the field. So, Adrian, go back to your old ways of 2013 football and hold that ball high and tight. You know, take a page out of Tiki Barber. Uh, you're, you're not going to fumble the football. And we, we, we can't have you on the field if you're fumbling the football. So that's the biggest thing offensively. Uh, other than that, you know, they moved the ball very well. The offensive line actually played pretty impressive considering the way they played against the San Francisco uh, um you know 49ers montelli you can even say that as well it was pretty much atrocious poor teddy um surprised he didn't you know come out with a lacerated spleen or you know broken ribs uh, with some of the hits that he was taking uh defensively much better against the run defense maybe maybe my article that i wrote vikings film room the first one i talked about their struggles maybe that got into the vikings uh, coaching room, and they were able to kind of realize that hey, in order to win a football game, we kind of have to play strong on the play side. Uh, they only had 38 rushing, you know, 38 rushing yards. Granted, they gave up 285 you know, passing yards, uh, but much better from a run defense standpoint. That's the Minnesota front seven that we've been waiting to see, that we expected to see uh, with all the hype surrounding them come training camp. Uh, the only problem that I had with the Vikings' defense, quite quite frankly, was the fact that they weren't finishing on their pressure packages. Uh, Montel, we, we talk about this all the time. Ralph, we've talked about it with you all the time, too. The biggest thing is that Zimmer is so unique with his double-A gap pressures, uh, the way that he can disguise his schemes, but yet also bring everybody to the line of scrimmage, make it look like you're going to play a true, you know, uh, single high safety, which sometimes most people read that as cover three or, you know, fire zone if you're going to run a blitz and then be able to pull certain, you know, certain players out into coverage and then, you know, have people blitz from a position that you wouldn't necessarily think. Uh, they were able to get hits on Stafford. We saw it all game long. He was actually, you know, in my opinion, there's a couple of good shots where they showed him it looked like he was crying, which he probably could have been, you know, after getting taking that lick from Eric Kendricks uh, early in the game. Uh, but they just weren't finishing. They only had one sack. That's two sacks in two games. Uh, not very good for a team that people expected to be one of the the best teams in the league in terms of being able to create pressure and create turnovers. They did get an interception. Uh, another tall task of, in front of them this weekend uh, with the San Diego Chargers. Another high octane passing offense. You know, you got Philip Rivers, who when he's on, he's on. When he's average. Uh, he or when he's off he he's still pretty good um Vikings defense is gonna have to show up uh they're gonna have to get home uh this is the offensive line matchup that you would like uh in these pressure type situations um but i'm I'm kind of torn because montel we we go back you know rewind to, to february uh I had a serious man crush on Melvin Gordon. Uh, I love this kid as a running back, the whole Adrian Peterson situation with us not knowing whether he was going to play or not. Uh, I wanted Melvin Gordon in purple. Uh, unfortunately he's wearing charger blue. So it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to develop in his rookie year. Uh, Amir Abdullah is, you know, quite frankly, stealing the, you know, stealing his, uh, spotlight right now. Um, so hopefully he can have a big game against his Vikings defense. Um, both for my fantasy team and, and, you know, and for scouts out there alike who, who've kind of enjoyed him because we're, we're really hoping that he can, you know, uh, break through. Um, but uh, Montella, I want to go back real quick. Uh, we, we were talking about the, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, and I can't believe I didn't mention this. Uh, we mentioned it earlier in the show, but Cam Chancellor is back. Um, and, Ralph, uh, you know, this goes for you too because you, you brought him up. Uh, Cam Chancellor's back. What's this going to do to that secondary that, quite frankly, hasn't looked like lob uh, for the first two games of the year, especially with them going against more than likely Jimmy Clausen as their quarterback? Uh, Ralph, oh, you know, I will, I'll take your thoughts on it first, and then we will uh, we'll let you go, and I'll turn it over to Montel.
0: Well, ah, geez, I just drew a blank. What did you ask me, uh, Cam Chancellor? can Chancellor answer to do it. that Hey, don't, don't worry, guys. That will happen to you in about 30 years. Okay. Uh, first things first, <laughs> is, it's, it, it's pretty much known. It really will. It sucks, but it really will. Uh, pretty much known that, you know, you talk about LLB, the Legion of Boom, and the reputation they've built over the last couple of years. But it's pretty clear that Cam Chancellor, as they say and you hear around the league, is the leader in the locker room. He's the leader of that defense. He makes that defense run. And for me, it's a big shame about what happened because what was the point? The point was you wanted more money. Well, you're not going to get any now because you say you're going to wait to the end of the season. And it's so crucial because you see what's happened to Seattle. How big of a role has it played in these two losses for Seattle? We're about to find out how big of a role it plays now. And not so much, of course, as being the Bears. We can joke all we want. But the point is, you find yourself a team won the Super Bowl two years ago, played in the Super Bowl, just missed winning a second consecutive, trying to become the first team since the Buffalo Bills to make it to more than two. Attempting to get to their third straight Super Bowl, the odds right now at 0 2 are stacked against them. Statistically, there have been teams that have come back from 0 2 and not many and played in a Super Bowl, much less won a Super Bowl. And it's going to be an uphill climb right now. But at least for the Seattle defense and for those who love fantasy football and those who pick the Seattle defense in fantasy football. I think you get that leader back. You get that toughness back. Of course, Sherman can go back to his position. You know, it's hard when you have a guy who's so strong in his position, you have to get guys to fill in. So that puts Seattle back to what they're... Now, it's going to take a minute because I don't think the Cam just going to come right in and just start boom, boom, boom and just start playing. So, you know, Seattle's behind the eight ball right now. They've got to get wins right now, but this is a, a huge... I would say addition, but it's huge for the team to have this guy back because he plays such a big role on defense. And guys, before I go, absolute pleasure uh, to be on the show. Everybody, of course, this uh, Draft Central podcast is great. Thank you for listening, everybody. Keep following us, of course, Twitter handle, at NGSC Sports. I was figuratively held at gunpoint by our number two, Chief Operating Officer Kyle Mash, who forced me to create my own Twitter handle and uh, my own personal one because I was being a bad boy and using the company one for, person. not really, but okay. But I'll tell you where I'm at. It is at, and guys, <laughs> I know that neither one of you probably pronounced it correctly, but it is at El rafito. That's right. I'll say it again. At El rafito 322 the story behind that uh, of course me being of puerto rican descent uh my family used to call me rafito they still do the older ones some of them call me pito p-i-t-o cute little names so i had to come up with a handle so el Rafito 322 at ngsc sports NGSC Sports.com, ladies and gentlemen Going to give you back to the guys and the stars of the show of the Draft Central Podcast. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. Keep up the great stuff. Week three is a promise.
3: Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Ralph. It was a pleasure to have you on the show this evening. Once again, you can find Ralph Garcia at ElRafito322. Uh, you <laughs> <here> on Twitter. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> El uh, yeah, I can't really roll my R's, <laughs> but yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't really roll my R's, but uh, I'm working on it. I'm working on it, Ralph. You know, I gotta uh, I become a little bit can, more I uh, culturally.
0: I bet you you can roll your R's when you say Bruh, <laughs>
3: bruh, <laughs> bruh. Hey bruh. Hey bruh.
0: bruh. That's that's the roll. Thank you guys. I'm out of here. Have a great night.
3: Uh, yes, Thank sir. Thank you so much, Ralph and uh, Josh. You know, I think after this, uh, after the show, I'm gonna have to, you know, look in the mirror, roll my R's a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I, I got it. I gotta get, uh, you know, I know some Spanish. I, I, I gotta get it together, man. I gotta get my accent together. When I say the name, I wanna, well, I wanna make it smooth.
2: Yeah, I, I, you're way ahead of me. I don't speak, uh, I don't speak a lick of. Uh, any other language other than English itself? Um, I mean, I can count to ten in German, and I think uh, Spanish. Um, but other than that, okay. full, full English to me. Uh, but moving forward, uh, continuing with this, Montel. Uh, you know, we, we had some pretty pretty good interactions so far uh, with this NFL work. Uh, we we have to we have to talk about it. Uh, injuries. Injuries have basically plagued quite a bit of teams so far. Um, you look at the early injury reports of some notable teams. Um, Drew Brees, they're saying he's out.
3: Uh, everybody See, knows. See, the funny him. thing is, there's a report that says he expects he expects to play Sunday. He he thinks he can still play on Sunday. So you know
2: what? And I saw that, and I don't believe it. Uh, it's, I, I don't, it's
3: a smoke screen, you think?
2: I think it's a smokescreen because, I mean, hell, uh, if you remember, there was a report out a couple weeks ago, was it actually, what time is it now? It's actually a couple hours ago um, that was saying that he was going to have to have rotator cuff surgery. So it's it's hard to say, you know. It's really hard to say. but you look at the, you know, you look at some of the notable energy, uh, injuries, you know, as we talked about, uh, you know, Brashard Perryman, it's still out. Uh, you know, we, we got to get on our boy Teron uh, Davenport of the Baltimore Sun to, to figure out what is going on with, with uh, Perryman. We haven't had a chance to see him yet.
3: Um, yeah, that might be something we do. We, we might have to reach out to Teron, bring him on the show, and see what's going on. Um yeah, he's still he's still we'll put that on the to-do list. Yeah. Uh
2: Luke Keekley is out for for Carolina. That that's a huge blow by any defensive means.
3: Uh, is that from a concussion, right?
2: Uh yeah, still a concussion from the week 1. Um remains yeah, in the concussion protocol. so that's two protocol. Weeks on, See, that's big.
3: Yeah, that's big. When you miss 2 weeks on a concussion, that might allude to history. Yeah. Um well, and I don't, I
2: don't think he's been – I don't think he has any history of, of having a concussion so far uh, in the NFL. Uh,
3: no reported history. No reported history. Never, never know, dude. Never know. It is true. Uh, I was outraged, you know, not to deviate too much. I was outraged last week, last Monday night when uh, Odell played. He took a big hit, went to the sidelines, waved off the chainers, came back into the game, you know. Yeah, and, and the are there for a reason. You know, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't yeah, just wave everyone off and right. talk yeah. about it. <laughs> but, yeah, go
2: ahead. I, well, I completely agree with you on that one. Um, you know, it, it's bad. Um, you know, look at Eddie Lacy. Eddie Lacy's out. You know, and they're saying it could mm-hmm. be for a couple of weeks or so, um, which will be good because our <laughs> former uh, Draft Central uh, featured prospect, uh, John Crockett, has been recently called up to the active 53 man roster. Uh I found out that news earlier this afternoon. Woo. Um so Woo. good for him. Hopefully he gets some carries. Uh, I'm hoping that Eddie Lacey stays out. Sorry for anybody who's listening to this or uh you know watching us on Periscope that might be a Packers fan. Um but I'm playing him this week in fantasy. Uh and I don't have a very good running backs. Um so I, I'd like my running backs to stay there. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, you, but you, I mean, you just continue to, you know, you go down the list. I believe, uh, you know, believe Blake Bortles. You know, I'm scrolling through this right now, and I'm, you know, trying to find some of these teams uh, that I was looking up. But Blake Bortles is out. Uh, he was knocked he's out. Uh, he well, he was knocked out of the game uh, as of today. They still say that he's out. But the biggest one for me, you know, you talk about this. You know, we we were and about Demarco Murray and all the things that are going on in Philadelphia. But now look at it this way. Kiko Alonso's out. And a guy that they traded LaShawn McCoy for. And then now DeMarco Murray's out and he's questionable with a hamstring. Um the hits keep on coming for Philadelphia.
3: Um you know, you got Pittsburgh. They definitely do. Definitely do. Um yeah. Pittsburgh, who who is Pittsburgh missing?
2: Well, Ryan Shazier is questionable. He didn't practice. Uh,
3: mm-hmm. But this
2: is a guy that they're not missing. This is a guy who has been suspended, who makes his return. Uh-huh. I'm excited Le'Veon to watch. Le'Veon Bell. Bell. I'm extremely excited to watch uh, Le'Veon Bell. I think uh, I, I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see uh, just where he interact. You know where he where he develops in that offense. D'Angelo Williams has been playing well are they really going to you know take it away from him? Um, this is the more exciting one. Montel, I know you're going to be excited because you liked this guy coming out of the draft last year. Todd Gurley is expected to be a game-time decision again this Sunday against the Steelers. But what they're saying is he's been a full participant in practice for the last two weeks. They said he could have went last week had he have been more comfortable uh, with the situation. So... You, you might get your hopes you might get your hopes you might get a chance to see uh see the running back who was the number one running back in, in your uh in your rankings for the longest time and i believe tevin coleman yeah. was too uh, if my uh, memory serves me right
3: yeah uh, from a from a metric standpoint those were two of the more impressive running backs in this past year's draft class uh, i really liked melvin gordon but from a metric standpoint he didn't test uh in the realm of someone that was uh Special uh he tested in the realm of someone that was pretty good now his production was special, so we'll see where it goes in San Diego. I'm look forward to seeing what he can do there, but uh Tevin Coleman's great uh Todd Gurley is great, I think Todd Gurley. I mean they say there's potential that when he plays he'll be splitting time with Trey Mason, but the truth is Trey won't be able to hold a candle to a healthy uh to a healthy Todd Gurley. Gurley is uh, at running back. Running back is one of the easiest transition positions to the NFL. Uh, if he's healthy, I think you're going to see a, a great running back, and and, and St. Louis hasn't seen that in quite some time, so I, I'm looking forward to it. I think as soon as he's healthy enough, and I think if you're wondering, if you're questionable, um, St. Louis still may have to play him because they're in a little bit of hot water after the loss of uh, they they should have had in hand against the Redskins and, and how they've gotten off to a start, um, though they did beat Seattle. So, one and one here. I think they they might want to play him if he's close. Uh, maybe just not give him a ton of uh, reps. Yeah. Yeah,
2: uh, most definitely. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that we still need to, you know, need to kind of discuss um, is this little quarterback carousel that's going on in Dallas now. Uh Dallas. If anybody does not know the news, we'll catch that up to you uh, real quick. Dallas trades for Matt Castle, uh, who, who I have, who I tweeted out earlier today, has basically been kind of like uh, not necessarily a journeyman, but I mean he's he's kind of a quarterback whore. You know, he's been a quarterback all over <laughs> the place, hasn't been,
3: hasn't been very good.
2: I mean, he hasn't been very good. I mean, let's let's get that perfectly Yeah, I was about clear. to say,
3: usually whores, and it, it, saying Matt Castle is a quarterback whore is disrespectful to whores, because whores are usually pretty good at what they do. <laughs> so,
0: well, yeah. Um, is,
3: I, 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 don't, I don't know, Josh. I think he's just... I
2: mean, off to, I mean it, it's off topic a little bit, yes, I know, uh, but... <laughs> In the derange in which we can use this, uh, obviously not promoting any anything uh, of such nature, um, you know he, he's kind of been, you know, good at being efficient, uh, average. But yes, below average. <laughs> he's been okay. he's been very good at being below average, which has kind of hurt, you know, the teams that he's played for. You know, you, you prime example. The the, the toppling point for this was the year in which the Baltimore Ravens played the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. That season, great. He was great. He was such an efficient quarterback. He was Mark Sanchez of the AFC South. Very efficient. No butt fumble, you know, minus the butt fumble. You know, he, he was very efficient, moved the ball well. He had a hell of a running game with Niles Davis and Jamal Charles. That was also back in a time where receivers caught touchdown passes.
3: Um, seems like forever it, ago in Kansas City.
2: Oh, my God, I know. It's been two years. I don't even think a receiver's caught one yet this season, still. Um, Travis Kelsey has been the one catching all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you look at it, you know, after that, you know, after KC, his first true shot goes to Minnesota. Nah. pitiful, and, and you're hearing this from a, a a guy that bleeds purple and yellow. You know, absolutely pitiful. Uh, we would have been better off with Christian Ponder or even Joe Webb uh, than having Matt Castle in there. Um, we get rid of him, we, and of course, you know we have our guy and Teddy. You know, Teddy Two Point or H uh, Two O. We give him to basically the Buffalo you know the Buffalo Bills and say hey you give us a fifth and he's yours and they welcomed him with open arms you know it was like that uh, you know it was like a long lost friendship almost you know Rex Ryan was like oh Matt Castle's our guy Matt Castle's our guy he's gonna be our starter you know I don't know who the hell EJ Manuel is but Matt Castle's our guy he's our starter and then boom everybody got knocked with a haymaker and was like who the hell is Tyrod Taylor
3: and was mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: over. Uh, that allowed him basically to be not, you know, virtually ne- non-existent for that team. And so they shipped him to Dallas. But here's the thing: what necessarily is going to happen? Are they going to allow this to ride out, or are they going to say, "Hey, you know what? We'll give we'll, we'll give Weed and his 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 due credit and see what he can do." Um, You know, although it's, you know, before I, before you answer that, it wasn't a dumb move, uh, for them to trade for Matt Castle. You know, they needed a quarterback because it was either Brandon Whedon or Kellen Moore. (laughs) Kellen Moore was great at Boise State and he's been... (laughs) ...since he's been... ...bad, absolutely horrible. He's been horrible since he's been in the NFL. So it was a good move for them to trade for him. Uh... But do you necessarily think he's going to be able to do the job? Because I, I don't. I don't see any, any logical explanation or any any sane universe into which Matt Castle can lead them to the promised land while Tony Romo's out with an injury.
3: Yep. And, and that's important, too, you know. Um, I don't know. It's just I feel bad for the Cowboys. You know, you lose Dez and Romo in back-to-back weeks. I mean, who could have called that? You know, Des and Romo, this was already supposed to be maybe statistically the most challenging season in Dez's career, uh, given some of the hits the defense has taken, given the, um, you know, the, maybe the lack of other weapons now that Murray's gone. Um, Jason Wynn's always going to contribute, but he's aging. Um, they're going to need guys like Cole Beasley to step up and do their thing, too. Uh, small report out there that Terrell Owens was trying to get signed. Uh, yeah, but there's I even, did. See there's that. even there's even more reports saying that it'll never happen. So, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll see where that goes. But um, injury so soon, and of course the Chicago Bears suffered a brutal injury. Um, Jay Cutler's gone, and I guess not the most brutal injury. It's just so devastating to a team that's already not very good. But uh, Jimmy Clausen gets a nod. Uh, on the upside, I can say it right now. Uh, he has. He can maybe sense pressure about as good or better than Jay Cutler. Uh, probably better. But that's the only thing he even comes close to having on him. So, um, and, and to me, and Josh, and this is not just about the Bears, but with every team, the divide between your starter and your backup is just so uh, ginormous, you know, Uh the amount of reps the guys get between the two is different. Uh, the amount of preparedness, readiness. There's just something about not starting every game for a quarterback. That means that you're not going to be nearly as good as your starter The drop off between your starter and your backup is, you know, it's not like mad and where your starter's an 80 and your backup's a 76, you know, it's, it's a little bit more serious. Yeah. You know who
2: I actually, uh, I, I didn't even think about this until you said that, um, I was actually kind of surprised. I mean, this is a team that they've done great with their first-round picks over the last couple of years to build that offensive line. But recently, they've been horrible. You know, know, they haven't really been able to find true talent. You know, Byron Jones seems like he could be the guy, you know, at corner for them. Um, But other than that, you know, they've spent it on building the offensive line. I was actually kind of surprised that they did not call the Denver Broncos to offer a first for Osweiler,
3: um, because, because I I don't know if they I don't know if if you're Denver why do you do that Did you see how bad Peyton Manning was Sunday and and it's re- or last Thursday it's really saying something. But Manning struck I, I don't Osweiler could get a call in, a, in in a week from now two weeks from now. <laughs>
2: And I'm hoping so. You know, Montel, you you know me more better than anybody uh, that interacts with us uh, for football. And I'm very prideful of my Montana boys. And Brock is the Montana guy. Uh, he's basically right now in my generation the prodigal son for football players coming out of Montana. Everybody looks up to Brock. He's been, he's a great athlete. And he's a good friend. I want to see him get his opportunity, and I want to see him get his opportunity in Denver. And I truly do believe that the way Peyton Manning's been playing, he's going to get that shot in Denver this season. I mean, he played great in preseason. I don't know why we are, you know, dancing around the the thing of, well, oh, Peyton Manning's just a little rusty because he's not, you know, practicing or playing as much, you know. No, I mean, he's old, man. He's old. Let's give Brock a shot. The thing with Brock is that you've got a great defense surrounding you, and he can... I, I think the biggest thing with, with Peyton too is that he's been so good cerebral uh as a cerebral assassin, but I don't think he's necessarily bought into this offensive game plan that Gary Kubiak is trying to push forward. I think Brock, a younger mind, a younger arm, most importantly, in a younger body. Uh, you know, he's gonna be able to take a little bit more shots. I, I think he'd be, I think he's going to be more well-rounded and more open to this because of the fact that, you know, hey, uh, this is going to help me succeed. This is my first NFL start. i got to lean on the running game, which is what Gary Kubiak has been great for. I mean, you look at teams that he's been with, uh, the running games have been very good. Even when he started out in tennis, you know, uh, with the Houston Texans, you know, they had Dominique Davis, and Dominique Davis was a pretty damn good uh, running back for them uh, with Derek Carr and, you know, Andre Johnson in, in that offense. Um, so I think that could potentially be one of the things that they do. But going back to Dallas, um, you know, I just – I don't know. You know, I think that maybe, you know, even with Romo, you know, Romo is still relatively young as a quarterback uh, just because, he you know, he hasn't been taking the shots for as many years as he has, you know, compared to the other starters in the league that are around his age. But the thing with him is that he he's softer than puppy poop. I mean – he he's <laughs> he broke his clavicle he's had numerous back surgeries and then he just rebroke his clavicle uh, that right there is the sign of number one mr. Romo you need to drink some milk there brother uh, you know get <laughs> get, uh, get some of that vital protein and you know, he'll get you some of these you know uh, you can't you know he, he's worth 50 some million dollars to that organization. Are you really gonna hope that you know enroll with the punches of him being hurt? Because we we talked about it. this was a playoff team before he got hurt. I mean, this was a team that I mean, hell, this was a team that a lot of teams were picking to probably win the Super Bowl or at least be a Super Bowl contending team. You know, their, their defense isn't the greatest, but it has gotten better, and we'll we'll get to it in a, in a quick second because we got to wrap up here soon. Uh this was offensively a playoff team. They were ready to dominate. And and we saw that in some of the ways that they were able to work. We saw it in the in the New York Giants game. The opening game on Sunday night, we saw what this offense could do if Tony Romo is at the reins. We don't have, you know, they don't have that anymore. And they don't have a defense. It's not like, you know, Miami or Denver you know, Or even Seattle, where they can lean on their defense to expect them to win games. And you cannot lean on the Dallas Cowboys defense and expect to win games. So I'm a little interested as to why they didn't go out to try to find more of a seasoned starter rather than an average NFL quarterback. I mean, there's players out there that are on practice squads uh, or that are second or third screens, uh, strings, excuse me, that could give you a little bit more than what Matt Castle is going to give you. Um, so that so that's kind of my take on it. But, Montel, we, we already kind of wrapped it up. You know, we talked about the Bears, talked about the Vikings. Vikings looked good uh, defensively when they won. They looked bad defense, uh, offensively, but yet they are able to win. The Bears, they just looked bad, and they lost. Uh, we talked about their week three matchups. But you know me. NFL red zone is like Christmas on every Sunday for me in my household. Uh, What other games are you going to be keeping an eye on? Um, I'll tell you real quick. I'm definitely going to keep an eye on the Pittsburgh-St. Louis game just because I love Aaron Donald. Um, Aaron Donald's a great defensive lineman. I actually had a little spiff with somebody on Twitter who had kind of the audacity to say uh, that if Sharif Floyd continues to improve, that he could be in Aaron Donald territory. Well, I'm going to tell everybody right now Uh, if you didn't get a chance to tweet nobody is in Aaron Donald territory right now. Aaron Donald is a completely different player. You can't measure anybody with him. You can't measure him against anybody. But he is definitely in the elite category, but he can't be measured to anybody. Mm -hmm. He's in his own territory, his own country. He's his own nation. Aaron Donald is just that much of an animal. So that's why I want to watch this, because I want to see, you know, he's going to be going against a decent interior offensive line uh, for Pittsburgh. I want to see how how he's going to be able to attack um buffalo yeah, Miami. sure you
3: know buffalo and, Miami, and, and donald's a special talent i'm sorry to cut you donald's a special talent he's someone i'm very interested as well uh i was hoping my bears would get him but you know because of regime change maybe it you know wouldn't have worked out the way i would have hoped but uh a rare talent uh, at the three tech spot
2: oh extreme rare yeah, uh, extremely rare uh, another game I'm going to keep an eye on Buffalo Miami just because I have uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor as my quarterback on fantasy. Sorry guys, I just didn't do very good drafting quarterbacks this year. Um, but so we're going to see how that goes. And Miami's defense hasn't been playing great either. Uh, this is not the defense we expected it to be uh, when they added Indomik and Sue. You know the hundred million dollar defense tackle. Uh, they've been average at best. I would be willing to say that Minnesota's defense has played better than them and it's so far. And we saw how well they played week one, which was bad. And we saw how well they played last week, which was average at best. You know, he give up 300 yards of total offense. Can't say he played good defensively. Um, but Miami's defense has been bad. You know, it's been extremely bad.
3: Yeah. Um, they need, uh, they need, they need Cameron Wake, uh, to come back in full force. And he, uh, I think he played a little bit. It was very not effective, still not quite healthy. Uh, that'll, that'll be interesting to see how he progresses from a week-to-week basis. Um, also, I, I think an interesting game will be uh, Denver against Detroit. Uh, Denver's flying high. They're 2-0. and uh, They're playing a secondary that's not very good. Uh, they'll be inside the dome playing the Lions. Uh, can Manning do it again, go 3-0? and And more importantly can Detroit get the first win of the season? Detroit is a team I think a lot of people had high hopes for, but if they don't beat Denver, which, you know, is still possible, but if they don't beat Denver, they're looking at 0-3. And uh, I don't think that's a a start anybody for South for them. Uh, And and another quick one that might be very interesting as well is uh, we get to see Oakland against Cleveland. I never thought I'd say that would be the most interesting game, but the truth is it kind of is. You get to see two quarterbacks, uh two young quarterbacks or actually no, I think I think McCallum got the start. He's gonna get the start yep. Sunday but
2: McCown, yep, unfortunately.
3: But when you think about the path that each season can take, because I think both teams are one and one headed into this week, so who's gonna fall out there? Who who's really improved this year? Who's a pretender and who's really got a shot at say eight and eight or or or, or somewhere in that realm? So uh, this 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 is where you'll see you know uh, who's who's the bottom tier team. That that's gonna be a bit of an elimination game, even though it's uh, week three.
2: In Montel, I, I love that you said that game real quick. Uh, the matchup that I want to watch in that game is Amari Cooper versus Joe Hayden. Amari um, Cooper has looked every bit of what we expected him to be when we when we both scouted him uh, last year. He's been extremely impressive. Had a hell of a game last week. He had his first 100, you know, career 100-yard game. Had a great touchdown. He basically burned the corner. Uh, poor guy. Um, you know, and, and Derek Carr is kind of riding high right now. He's playing good football. You know, but they beat a good football team in Baltimore. So that's going to be a good game to watch. Uh, one last one: uh, San Fran and Arizona. Let's see. You know, well, let's see what Arizona has, you know, has to do. And and let's see if San Fran can bounce back. You know, they looked great against the Vikings. They looked horrible against Pittsburgh. Uh, So this is going to be, you know, it's going to be a fun game to watch. Um, But that, you know, that about wraps us up here uh, for the latest edition of the Draft Central podcast. Um, As always, I'm your host, Joshua Zimmer, joined by Mr. Montel Hardy. Um, Montel, it's always great to have you on, man. Uh, Thank you every every time you... uh, Take time in your evening to talk football. It
3: doesn't get great doesn't, to be doesn't, on. Let's do it again next week. How's that sound?
2: Always, yeah, always. Uh, same time, same place, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, with that being said, I uh, hope you guys have a good rest of your Wednesday night. Uh, I know I will. Hope you guys have a good rest of your weekend. I hope the teams you root for play well. And if they don't, I hope you know. Hope there's things that we can potentially talk about that for you uh, next week. Uh, But for everyone here at uh, the NGSE Sports Draft Central Podcast and NGSEsports.com, Joshua Zimmer is signing out. We never stop. Have a good rest of your weekend.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.